Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Claire Clark, one of the hosts of the network, and today I'm talking to Todd Myers, who is Associate Professor and Marjorie Bronfman Chair in Social Studies of Medicine at McGill University and the author of All That Was Not Her, which was just published this year by Duke University Press. Um, Professor Myers is also the author or co-author of seven other books, if I counted them right, um, and we're delighted to speak with him. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I wonder if you could begin our interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to this project. Okay. Um, so, hi, my name's Todd Myers. Um, so I'm a medical anthropologist, and I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the typical uh, trajectory of an academic career is supposed to look like, but I began... Um, as a painter, as an undergraduate, I studied at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, and after my time in Chicago, I, well, I spent a year as a caseworker. And then after that, I was in Papua New Guinea for a couple years, returned with a, an interest in public health, um, which evolved into an interest in anthropology. Um, and I studied at the Johns Hopkins University, and I was fortunate to be there at a time when a South African anthropologist called Pamela Reynolds uh, was also there. Uh, she became my supervisor, and then I think more importantly, steered a lot of my thinking uh, in really unexpected ways. And the, this book, All That Was Not Her, is dedicated to Pamela, who very gently uh, guided my work um, for years. And so after graduate school in Baltimore, I, um, taught in Detroit with brilliant and inspiring colleagues and students. And then I taught in Shanghai with brilliant and inspiring colleagues and students. And then, um, I moved to Montreal in the early moments of the pandemic, where I now teach in the faculty of medicine and health sciences, as well as the faculty of arts and I'm in the department at McGill University, and I'm in the Department of Social Studies of Medicine. Um, 
yeah, so that's a little of my academic career trajectory. And um, tell us a little bit about how you came to write All That Was Not Her, because it's it's sort of your first project, but it's also uh, your seventh project, you know, <laughs> sort of the, culmin- the culmination, you know, or, or the most recent thing in your long and, and uh, prestigious career. <laughs> well, first, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it is, it is kind of my first project. I mean, it started in 2002, really not long after I arrived in Baltimore. Um, I mean, the project, it began uh, with, it was a project with colleagues and we were looking at, we were asking a very simple question about how families in households that were experiencing serious social and economic and political instability and insecurity managed illness day to day. And from that small I, I think very general project. Um, I started following one of those families and one of the and and the woman who was really the head of household in one of those families for years afterwards. And so, it was a project that began with the question about health and care in the household, um, but it evolved into something else. And so, over the years of the project, which I did concurrently with my dissertation projects. So I, my dissertation was on, um, was working with adolescents, like young people who were in residential treatment for opioid um, dependency. And so while I was doing my dissertation project, I was still continuing to, to talk with, to meet with Beverly. Um, and I think in some ways it was, it was a way to, I mean, I, I had to, I guess, reconcile what kind of interest I was having with Beverly and her family. I mean, it wasn't really a project anymore on injury and care and the close relationship of those things, even though that was still part of the project. It wasn't really a project on multiple morbidities and how the care and expression of those things unfolded in the home and through networks of of family and people outside of the family. Um, I, I didn't really know what kind of project it was, and yet I kind of persisted, even though I was doing these other things. And so I wrote a few things about Beverly, um, and um, I collected them in 2017. I was invited to pull together some of the writing I had done, some things I'd published and some things that I hadn't published, into a small book in French called Chronique de la Maladie Chronique that was published in a very lovely series on the philosophy of care that uh, Celine Lefebvre and um, Frederick Worms edit. And um, I guess it, at that time I thought, okay, good. I can finally, I can kind of finally call it quits with this project. And, but I, I don't know, it, it felt unresolved. And so I think, you know, to get back to your question, how did I come to write all that was not her? I mean, this particular version, this iteration, and what I think, I mean, it's the last iteration, is trying not to resolve that feeling of an unresolved relationship or project, but kind of, I don't know, coming to terms or trying to find terms for accepting how unresolved relationships in the field, whatever the field is, are. And trying to navigate the ambiguity and the the unease that surrounds a relationship, even one that 
would very neatly be described as, you know, the work of the medical anthropologist interested in the social course of illness. So, um, so it's, it's trying to engage with that, that, that sense of, um, of incompleteness in a way and trying to let the form of the book reflect some of that. Thanks. And, and in order to do that, um, the writing is not what um, many people have sort of come to e- expect from an academic monograph. It's a little bit experimental, if I may say so, and um, challenging in lots of interesting ways. Um, before we kind of get into the book, I wondered if you could read a little bit from it just to give our listeners a sense of um, what they're in for when they pick up this book. Yeah, no, uh, happily. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um... Yeah, I'll read two small sections. Um, the first section is uh, from an early uh, part of the book. It's this passage immediately follows a scene where Beverly is hospitalized after a medical emergency. And by the time I arrive, it seems that the emergency has, has all but passed. So, <clears throat> so much of my time with Beverly felt repetitive, even mundane but the monotony was continually punctured by moments of crisis that were hyper-volatile. Life seemed to march steadily on, for better or worse, and then suddenly we were spun around facing a different horizon. These moments swallowed everything and everyone around Beverly. No one was spared, not me, not her. Crisis would return to her, an awful cycle that brought with it doubt and distrust. There was certainly nothing untrue about the crisis that led to her being hospitalized. Later, she would tell me about the days of dizziness and clouded thoughts that culminated in her collapse. But the tentacles of falsehood grew from it all the same, in snarling and smothering its truth. Hospital staff would come to regard her as a pariah. Her son would make apologies. I would lose faith. She would weather their scrutiny and mine. These were little moments of injury strung together, events that seemed to lay traps for thinking, moments that made it hard to find the right register for apprehending the force of what was happening to her. Or worse, these little moments invited misinterpretation, burying their corrosiveness in misunderstanding, moments that created an opening for some false lesson to be made from this woman. The following chapters are a record of these moments, of their withering force, an essay about the consuming power of these moments written by a young white anthropologist who followed a middle-aged black woman and her family for years. In his writing, this younger man now meets an older self at a different political moment, looking back through a distorted lens. Return here is itself an action of change, a deformation, and an acknowledgement of that change. I return to write about illness and other injuries, not to explain them, but to unthread them, or better still, to unravel clues about how they came to be lived as they were lived, how they entangled Beverly and me. I am also engaged in another kind of unthreading. I direct this essay against a galling late liberal project that would maintain a set of abstract principles about how things are or how one should be in relation to others. A project that is at its core wrongly assumes all forms of living are somehow already known or played out. I refuse to rob living of its terrible inventiveness. 
If anthropology arranges its politics to counter narratives that demean and vilify, then in equal measure anthropology should admit the danger of cheap moralisms. By unthreading the moments, I am looking for something in my encounters with Beverly that is difficult to name. I focus on small, intimate moments of contact and abrasion that offer, at least for me, a way to open and move within a critique of power that flows between two people in order to show, as Elizabeth Pavanelli suggests, how, quote, the critique of power might impact at a deeper, richer level with imminent forms of social obligation beyond given articulations of identity. By returning to these moments between us, moments that are fine and dense and largely insignificant in some larger scheme, I hope to show what the terms of social obligation expose in their unmaking, expressed by the lack of givenness between Beverly and me. Beverly and me. And I'll just read a a second very small passage from later in the book. It's a moment where I'm in the basement of her grandson's row house, uh, searching through um, Beverly's possessions uh, after her death. One afternoon, I searched for the figurine in the basement of Beverly's grandson's row house, a few doors down from where Beverly once lived. After Beverly's death, her family put her belongings into 30 or so boxes that eventually found their way to Thomas's musty basement. I rummaged through each one, Her grandson sits behind me, smoking and occasionally offering words of encouragement. The summer heat has not reached the basement, but the humidity has. I swim in sweat. I am digging a ditch. Box after box contains the strata of her past that I etch away, really physically to cut at. I am a misguided archaeologist, a treasure hunter, desecrating one small tomb at a time. Fat. I wish I were in better shape. I carry Thomas down the stairs and then I go back up to collect his wheelchair. When he needs to use the toilet, we go up the stairs and back down again. Sinew. I sort through damp clothes and old birthday cards, costume jewelry and countless tchotchkes, but no figurine. The clothes are heavy. Every fold reveals an odor, the faint smell of urine, mothballs, the body of the last wearer. They are husks, molted skins. I refold and repack the clothes in the boxes as best I can. There is nothing neutral about touching her clothes. It is hard not to feel near to her and contaminated by her, even in her absence, the unwanted magic of contact. Thank you, Todd. That it's it's just it's such a remarkable book, and um, it's doing so many things. And uh, I guess uh, let's start with the title. So the the all that was not her, the the all uh, it 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 could refer to the things that you're sorting through, right? Um, but I I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about um, the meaning of the title and and how you came up with it. Sure. So the title comes from a quote uh, from the poet and art critic and painter and novelist, et cetera, et cetera, John Berger. He wrote, uh, she was now at the center of what surrounded her. All that was not her made space for her. From a book that's subtitled, at least the subtitle in the American edition, um, is how does the impulse to draw something begin? And this is the question that I was asking, you know, what is this impulse to render Beverly in a particular way? You know, what, what fills in the space of her and what 
is outside her in the negative space that surrounds her. So, um, so I call the book an essay. And I mean, it's an essay in the sense that, um, you know, it's an effort, it's an attempt, you know, following Brian Dillon's writing on essayism, you know, it's a trial, it's, it's it might be followed by failure. Um, but I, I guess just to answer your question directly, you know, all that it was not her, of course, it's about illness and health, about crises and worries and injuries and insults and all of these things which seem to flow through her. But somehow they they are not her and they exist in the space around her and and she is changed and they change. And so trying to to fix a static like trying to keep her in place, to have her stand still in writing was to me just felt like it was betraying um, what I experienced in my time recording parts of her life or encountering her in different ways. And, and I, and I was faced with this problem, which is, okay, so that's nice. Like you want to write, you want to write about her, but not just reduce her to, you know, health or, you know, the kind of social problems and complicated reality that she lived in. And so in order not to be reductive, at first I felt like the task was, you know, almost to over-explain, to, to show the sort of, I don't know, like the, to, to indiscriminately, like, make everything of this, this um, project available in writing. And then, you know, I quickly realized just what folly that is. And so, I mean, I, the book works through an economy of language. I mean, it works through an economy of words. Um, it's intentionally short. I mean, the book is only, I mean, it's a couple hundred page, a couple hundred pages, but it's really only like maybe 30,000 words. Um, and it's intentionally short. I mean, for on purpose, and the idea is that you encounter Beverly and you kind of, you could, you can read it in one go uh, quite easily and it kind of holds you to her. And so you see her in all of these varied and contradictory ways in kind of in a single exhalation um, that, you know, that it, it contains all of these things which are so fundamental to her and yet at the same time either exceed or, 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 or don't come close to her. So it's trying to, the title is trying to play with that idea of what exists in the negative space around her. How does it come to define her and how does she come to resist that? Um, and especially through the encounter. Um, so that's a long meandering answer to it. How did you come oh, up with a great, the title? A great answer. I, I, so I can imagine an, another type of writing or another um, way of presenting Beverly, you know, teaching in a medical school that would make her the subject of a kind of case study and say, here's, here's this person and here's the way this case illustrates all of the various social determinants of health and how they come together in the life of one person and what I really appreciate the, about the, your book is how it sort of resists that kind of telling um, in what it's doing with form. I, I wonder if you could talk about in in what ways is all that was not her a case study, and then in what ways is it um, is it actually kind of a criticism 
of case studies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, I mean, there's a lot of betweenness in this book. So yes, it's a case study. I guess maybe it is a portrait. It's also an auto portrait of the author, but it's really not either of those things. It's sort of in between self-portrait and a portrait of another person. Um, I think the the critique is a very simple one. And, and in fact, I don't have to make it very explicitly in, I don't have to make it in the text very explicit because the form of the text is the critique, which was, which is, you know, I'm not trying to create a total picture of this woman over a 20 year relationship, you know, several of those years after her death. Um, it's, it, it is, it's fragmentary. Yes. It, it follows a different, it moves in and out. The focus moves along different, I mean, the aperture is sort of like tightened at times and then it's widened. It's working at different scales. It's not trying to, but it's not trying to capture all of the elements of her life um, or even of the relationship I had to her. So the critique of the case study, the critique of, of the, of the portrait is that oftentimes it doesn't have the person who's rendering that in that image. And here I come into the image and, you know, I think one of the, you know, one of the critiques of this book could be, well, you know, oh my God, like how self-indulgent are you that you're writing about yourself in a book about this woman who for years navigated in the most complicated at times heroic and in the to other times most awful ways um, circumstances, which were both of her making and are completely structured by things that were, you know, so outside of her making. Um, and the answer, I think, to that critique is that it really is, it is really trying to, 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 to create some degree of transparency about how those words arrive on the page or how one arrives in a scene that you're describing and how that is not representative of, any, of anything except for that moment and yet carries a weight into these other moments of banality or crisis or whatever. And so part of the critique of the case study here is it's, again, it's kind of static, it's potentially static nature. And here I'm trying to think, well, how does something evolve and change over time? And then how do we create a record of that for purpose? Not just to say that this is a, I mean, I think one of the things about the book that is complicated is that it does it is playing or experimenting or trying to figure out its form while I'm putting that form together. I mean, it's, I'm trying to form and reform how I'm engaging with the record of Beverly in my memory and my notes and these encounters. And the product then is something that is complicated and it changes from section to section of the book. And but it's not for, um, it, it's, it, it is, I'm not trying to be cute. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get a handle on something, which if I'm really being hard about my critique of the case study is the kind of the, the, the God, the conceit uh, that you can get a handle on these things, you know, the sort of the, the, the assumption that they're like, that this object will ever be stable enough for you to 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 create your portrait around a portrait of this person and part of the demonstration here is that like she is constantly moving 
and including like this kind of the ethical ground of our relationship and the these interpersonal. I mean, it's a relationship that's filled with conflict and great. And and for my part, and I think for hers too, like uh, I don't know if you call it love, but it's it's something akin to closeness and intimacy. And at the same time, just those things are, you know, they fall away at other times, and there are great moments of of of, of harm in the book between us. And all of those things make up this picture of her. So that's, and I, and I will just say, I'll just add just a little bit to that is, I mean, I know it's not uncommon for people to, you know, publish parts of their work in peer reviewed journals or in other forms before a book comes out. But in this case, even those parts that appear before I was going back into my own record of how I was addressing my relationship and kind of what my priorities were and having to rethink them in this writing. So to say, so it really is a, it is a different kind of, it's a trial, it's a reexamination, it's a rethinking on the page, not just, oh, here, I'm going to, I'm going to try something different now. It really is like trying to, I don't know, come to terms with what feels so unresolved about this relationship. Another other really sort of noteworthy thing about it is that it's engaged not just with other anthropological work, but um, that you re- and and that you rely not only on your own reflection and your kind of personal archive, um, but uh, but you you reference quite a lot of um, literary, artistic, and and philosophical work. And um, you know, reading the book, I almost felt like I had to have Google out. <laughs> to be tra- tracking the references to see that I got them. Um, if I were to teach this book, what 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 do you th- what would you recommend assigning with it? What um, which, which of these references are most necessary for for understanding what you're trying to get across? Oh, I, well, first of all, I like this question a lot. <laughs> so I think all my projects, I guess you know, you can think of them as references or resources, but they're also kind of a each each book project has its own playlist and this is sort of the playlist here so i mean obviously like john berger's the bento sketchbook uh from which the title comes from not just because it's because he's thinking not just about drawing but like he's thinking about how to find forms um maybe roland bart's uh morning diary you know something he wrote began writing the day after his mother's death in october of uh, 1977, you know, t- took notes every day, you know, reflecting on, you know, the work of grief. Um, and this book has a lot of grief in it. Um, maybe Maggie Nelson's, uh, the Argonauts, just because it's, you know, it's genre bending and, um, you know, it's another example of, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible example of kind of auto theory and, and, uh, thinking of instrumentalizing yourself in writing. Um, maybe, maybe probably Kathleen Stewart's ordinary affects um, about, because, because it's not just all portraiture. It's also about landscape and condensation. And also she wrote really lovely things on the back cover of the book about the book. So um, mm-hmm. I would probably say uh, ordinary affects. So there's just, I mean, there's a lot. And then there's an entire I mean, there's an entire like reading list of, of fic- works in fiction as well, which I won't go wonderful. into. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, and in one, and this is my my next to last question, in, in one possible reading of All That Was Not Her, the object of the book isn't 
isn't just Beverly, but it's um, but it's failure that this is really in some ways a a book about failure. And um, as someone who uh, my dissertation first book was reviewed and it was called Failure something like four times. <laughs> And um, I was really curious about what you have to say to your readers about failure. What does it mean to write a book that's a failure anyway? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if, you know, if triumph is necessarily the opposite of failure, but I don't think that this is, this book is necessarily a triumph. I mean, it is, I mean, it's failure in the sense that it, that it is, uh, well, how about this? Um, I mean, Failure here is is an answer to heroism. Um, you know, the book is definitely not trying; it's trying to show that these relationships are not. You know, this particular relationship is not one in which you walk away and you feel heroic or even insightful about what twenty years produces. Um, I guess it's also failure is a place in which things are you know, changed and reformed and, you know, so for the anthropologist who is trying to tell a story about, you know, trying to hold a life on the page, in that sense, it is a demonstration of failure, if that, if that's ever the, 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 the objective. I mean, it's also, I mean, if we're being, if we're being blunt, it's also about the failures of a medical system um, and Beverly's years of trying to navigate a system that continually failed her. Um, you know, it, it's a part of the project, I guess part of the motivation for the project in the beginning was how does somebody who is navigating so much um, insecurity and so much just daily struggle, like survive, and then of course she doesn't survive. I mean, she dies. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it's a failure because it's not a story. No longer is a story about someone who manages despite, but I mean, she, she dies. And then what do you do in the, the wake of that, that death or absence? And how do you come to terms with struggle and what's left behind? Um, and it's a failure in the sense that, you know, part of the attempt of the book is, um, to come to terms with something that refuses to allow me to come to terms with it, you know, to, to, to say the final word about Beverly, um, is not very satisfying. And after 200 pages, you know, it's not, it doesn't allow for easy conclusions about her life to be drawn. And so in that sense, failure here is productive because it also tells us that when we encounter easy lessons that are drawn from complex circumstances that maybe we should think twice. Um, so in that sense, failure becomes, it alerts us to something. And if there is a lesson in here, maybe that's the lesson um, that, that we, when we find cheap solutions to very complex and dense problems in medicine in life that we we should pause for a second as social scientists, as historians, as whatever. Um, and so maybe failure is about alerting uh, readership to that and hoping that they that they um, they recognize their own questions in that 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 proposition. I love that. Well, it's a it's very um, it's sort of a buzzword in medical schools, as I'm sure you know. Um, structural humility or cultural humility it is a it's a text that that shows what it is to do that for sure 
um, and those are hard things to teach. Yeah. Yeah. And I maybe should just, I should also add directly, like, I mean, it's also existing on a different political register. I mean, this book is, um, I mean, it's politics are very complicated um, in the sense that the the politics of now has changed. I mean, this is a book that is comes out in the wake of Black Lives Matter. It's a book that comes out at a moment of necessary reevaluation of what social science research does and the kind of assumptions that it operates within. And, you know, it's a so it's a complicated political landscape in which the book emerges. I mentioned in that, in that just even in that little passage that I read, you know, it's about a young white anthropologist, you know, working for years alongside a, a middle-aged black woman. And, you know, what flows from that is not, you know, there is no boilerplate for saying, okay, well, here are the politics of the book. You know, if anything, the, the book feels more urgent than it did when I first started this project. And if anything, it also feels less clear uh, what those relationships should look like and what we should get out of them. So I think it's also, I, I would also say like with that idea of humility and maybe failure as a, you know, thinking of its dimensions is also, um, is also a chance to work through an uneasy politics of now and to say, look, I, I would love just for a slogan or for a buzzword to explain away the complicated and contradictory way in which um, my relationship with Beverly plays out on the page, but it there isn't anything ready-made there. And um, that also, I think, fits with this idea of, you know, a lack of heroism on the part of the author. You know, I'm not trying to present, I'm not trying to resolve what is difficult about this relationship or is at times ugly, ugly from my perspective, ugly from her perspective, ugly from a perspective that maybe sits outside of that, that, that duet of Beverly and me. So um, yeah, it's, it's that, I think that register of humility and trying is, I mean, it's an opening for me and open, you know, things that are open are also quite dangerous, you know, and they should be. And care here is complicated and, and um yeah. And if it's a story about becoming, of her becoming, of an evolution, you know, those things can also be um, dangerous and negative. And so it, it, it work, the book works with negativity in a way that I, I hope is not nihilistic, but mm-hmm. is a way to address what I think is um, maybe a kind of facile tendency to think the politics of every project are, can be worked out in advance. Well, that, that's that's wonderful and well said, and um, brings me to my final question, which is, what are you working on next? <laughs> so, well, first of all, it's delight. I'm delighted to talk to you about this book because it's between covers, and I'm in the midst of writing another book that you know, always it, it never feels like you'll be able to. It, it never feels like a book will be realized until it's realized, and so I'm in the midst of a project now that it's a book. It's another one of these books that. You know, this is a, a book that's a 35-year story, and it's about the murder of a gay man uh, by a classmate in the 1980s in my small community in Indiana. And the book is entitled The Sin Between Us. And, um, I mean, it's different in its writing because, I mean, each of my projects really, I mean, they are they are bespoke to the problems and concerns and materials that I'm 
working with, but it's, it's about return. It's about atmosphere about it's a portrait of individuals in a community. It's about a hate crime before the designation of this act as a hate crime. It's about a, a new medical legal category, guilty, uh, but mentally ill. It's about complicity, about shared adolescence, about hate and return and repair. So it's a complicated book. I don't know. I don't know why I don't make things easier on myself. But uh, <laughs> this current project is a, is a difficult one. And it also works in that same way. I mean, it's I'm instrumentalized in the text as well as a on purpose. And so that's the that's the new project. That's what I'm in the midst of. And this is why it's so nice to talk to you about this book yeah, <laughs> about all that was not heard because it's un, unfinished but it's a, between covers yeah unfinished yeah. but between covers that should that should have been my uh the book description on the back <laughs> well todd thank you so much for taking time to share your wonderful work with us um and um we we so appreciate it and hope you'll come back when the new one is out uh, thanks so much i really appreciate it